look into the distance. What do I see? Actually, you are wearing a, a yellow t-shirt today, so it is like a blinding light through the darkness of it all. His computer is still kaput, so he's using someone else's, but hey, welcome back. It is the usual co-host. Aaron Berlin is in the house. What's up, Aaron? Welcome to Both Coast Bias. First time? First off, hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh. Um, <laughs> bad puns. But yes, it has been something. It has been difficult. It has been frustrating. Jonas, yeah, what I found yeah. out you know, during my, my absence is that people actually enjoyed Drew better as a co-host. No, they did yeah, not. We got comments. They appreciated. We got DMs. We got phone calls about it. Everybody was like, bring this Drew Rich guy back. <laughs> and you know what? I, I think Drew has reached popularity or the popular, enough popularity within the both coast bias universe where maybe you know drew starts having his own show on our platform andrew hammond also wants to start a podcast so, you know these are all also tried and true bcb members maybe we just start our own little pod conglomerate that's that i mean that's always been the hope I, I'll, I'll say this big ups big thank you to drew for for filling in the couple times that he did and i thought he did wonderfully and we did get some comments that we love hearing drew i don't think it was a there was no Never ever a reference to you, Aaron, saying like, oh my God, can we make a full substitution? It was just a different take. And, and you know, you bring in a substitute sometimes and you don't know how it go. I would imagine that it's sort of the case of, you know, the backup QB gets in there and people get a little taste and like, it's the unknown. Well, but it's old steady is back and, and people love what they love. What people also yeah. don't know is Drew's contract demands are a little bit out of what we Oh my can- God, what a diva. Except. <laughs> So that, that's another reason why Drew is not here today. He is too expensive for the yeah. Bucs universe. We are about as cheap as they come. But how about you, man? Looking good. You know, the last time I saw you, usually we're in a little bit of a role reversal. For people who don't know, <laughs> people who don't follow us on social or have any idea what we look like, I traditionally have a grizzled beard. Maybe not a five o'clock shadow, but a little bit darker than that. You know, like 530. Yeah. Uh I have since kind of gone clean shaven, not necessarily clean shaven. It's like a three o'clock shadow a little bit. And Jonas, on the other hand, has this big beard. And I asked him before we went on air, what what the hell is this? So I'm going to ask you while we're on air now, what the hell is this? All right. Let me start by saying that when I saw your face shaved like this, I don't think I've ever seen you in this manner. You know, going back to when we first met at KU, I, I was taken aback by your face. In more ways than one. My face, it's a combination. Okay. Am I doing it for a purpose? Kind of. I'm also just lazy and I just hate shaving. It's just such a process. But as you know, I am, you know, a resident Kansas basketball expert now. Believe in Jayhawks podcast weekly, Thursdays. Aaron's got his True Hoop Media podcast as well. Tuesdays, right? Uh, We record on Tuesdays. It drops on Wednesdays. So we recorded today's. And by the way, if you have not ever listen to the catch and shoot 2.0 podcast check it out this week bobby marks of vspn drops by oh shoot that's a big all right i will listen to that thank you for the heads up we're trying um so my beard it's with my facial hair sometimes i just look in the mirror i'm like oh my god where did that come from all of a sudden my face is itchy because there's like a week where it's like pretty good tony romo style shadow cute but not overbearing and then i just woke up over the weekend i was like oh shoot this is a lot Now, why haven't I shaved? This is going to be a little hypocritical because I am definitely that guy who's like, oh, you're wearing your lucky jersey for that game? What a loser. But I have not shaved in a bit. The Fighting Jayhawks of Kansas are on a bit of a, what, seven-game winning streak or something? They have not lost since their loss to Baylor, and part of that is because Baylor refuses to lose, but we can get into that later. Yeah, we can get into that later. Uh, College basketball is heating up, by the way. And... They have a huge game tomorrow for Aaron and I recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, They are playing West Virginia on Wednesday. And I didn't want to shave just in case. (laughs) Sort of, you know, a little bit of a superstition ahead of this. I will shave probably Wednesday night or Thursday morning. But ahead of this West Virginia game with Baylor refusing to lose, as you said, Kansas needs to win. And I ain't shaving. So they're going to lose now because it, it never yeah, matters. They are just because you've you've spoken it into existence. When it's a when it becomes a thing and you put effort into the superstition, is when it backfires. 
which, by the way, they have a big game this week. We can talk about that later, or we can just save it for your podcast. The West Virginia one? Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. That's why I haven't shaved. Yeah, it's uh, Would you say it's the biggest game of the year outside of what the Baylor game was? Uh, the, the upcoming Baylor game in two Saturdays at Waco will be the biggest in all likelihood. Because Baylor's be- going to drop one here soon. Like they're, they're teetering on the edge. Well, you know, that they, they what they ended up winning last night's game. And for people who don't know, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday, so they played Monday night on Big Monday. Big um, they won that game by 10, didn't they? And then they almost they lost. They did, but they only scored for like 55 points. Like it was a bad – I watched it. It was an ugly, def- great defense, but not if you like offense, bad game. And, and Texas is pathetic. They, they are, and they haven't looked good. And I do. I will say this, sidebar. This isn't what we're going to talk about. You can listen to all of Jonas's takes on his Believe in Jayhawks podcast, which hey, thanks, drops on Thursdays. Uh, yes, we moved it to Thursdays. Yeah, which will drop on Thursdays. But, he, you know, I will say this. I think that had Devon Dotson not gotten injured for about 15 minutes of that game between them and Baylor, KU would have won that basketball game. Maybe. But, that's, you know, that's, that's a conversation for another day. That's a conversation for the Believe in Jayhawks show. Uh, I disagree. I think they're getting their butts handed regardless. But that's here's what we are talking about. We have to talk about the big news over the weekend because we are your alternative football show or your go-to show for all things alternative football. I'm in Los Angeles. That's the whole point of this being called Both Coast Bias. Aaron's in Orlando. So when it is your show, I'm going to talk some more Mookie bets because it is now actually official. Last time I spoke with Drew about it, he actually came with a pretty good angle from the Royals' perspective of giving up superstars before they hit free agency. But it's now official. The deal is different, and there is a lot to talk about. We are going to briefly talk about this proposed new playoff structure for MLB. I've got some strong opinions. Aaron came back at me pretty strongly. We may hate each other by the end of this episode, which would be sweet. And then we already talked about the beards. So let's, let's get right into it with what will probably take the quickest amount of time. But Aaron, you, I tweeted at you over this weekend. Aaron and I don't really communicate too much now, apart from the show, to keep our conversation, conversations fresh and breezy. But tough weekend for the Vipers, tough weekend for the Wildcats, and by that we mean finally the XFL. I think our first ever both coast bias, wasn't it? Was it talking was. about how it is titled "The XFL is Back," and officially. It's back. This is the XFL, but the 2020 version. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, for, for our individual teams, bit of a tough show. Aaron Murray didn't look great in their debut against the Guardians. But I will say this, Jonas, for all intents and purposes, you know, I, I didn't watch each game for the entire amount of time, but I did watch bits and of it, and there were things that I could appreciate about it. And to me it felt more legitimate. It felt like a football league. Now, the problem is when you look out into the stands, there's still nobody there to support those teams, and that's going right. to be something that hopefully changes over time. But I thought for week one, it was as good of a showing that the XFL could have hoped. The football was not atrocious. Uh, Cardell Jones made some really good throws, and you know, but more importantly, Jonas, it looked like they had buy-in. It was the number one trending topic on Twitter. Yep. It had talking about it which is all you can ask for in week one of a thing like that and it doesn't feel like it's going away no i I, it definitely felt at the very least pretty viral i think the guy who was running the social media for the xfl brand did a pretty good job at least making it relatable and have people you know tune in I made sure to catch a little bit. It wasn't just that. You had football people talking about it. You had yeah. a legitimate broadcast on Fox that was giving it a network window. And, and, and yeah, ESPN has broadcast. Fox has broadcast. I think CBS has a game this coming week. And so you have buy-in from all these media companies, but more importantly, outside of what the XFL's account was tweeting, you had conversations going on from yes. individual that were saying they liked it. And that's the hardest thing to do is anytime a new product is launched, the hardest thing to do is have brand awareness. And I think part of the reason Vince McMahon elected to keep it the XFL as opposed to changing the name into something that he didn't know about or that mm-hmm. people didn't know about, you know, people started to like the XFL back in 2001. They didn't agree with some of the tactics, yep. some of the kind of just dirty techniques, and, you know, it wasn't about player safety. <laughs> 
But what they've done is they've kept the name, they've changed the branding, and some of those old XFL fans are gravitating towards this new product, and some NFL fans are gravitating towards this new product. And part of the reason is, Jonas, is they've put legitimate resources behind it. You know, Vince McMahon invested $500 million of his own money. And there's a lot of things Vince McMahon does in this world that I don't agree with, and a lot of just kind of his pillars as a person I don't agree with. But the dude knows how to build a brand. He knows how to build a company. And he's thrown enough money to back this to give it legitimate life. And another thing that he's done, he's hired smart people. Bringing in Oliver Luck was perhaps one of the biggest things that could help legitimize this league. And, you know, they followed the same trend that the AAF started where they brought in older coaches, but also coaches that had name recognition. You know, Jim Zorn, uh, Bob Stoops, guys like that are head coaches of Jim Jones, former Hawaii coach. Yeah. So, so there's buy-in from a football perspective. There's buy-in from a media perspective. And I think this has a legitimate chance. That being said, I tuned in. I've had to watch history for the very first Wildcats game and they were playing Houston. Houston goes all the way down, scores on the first drive. And the second that wide receiver, for Houston barfed right before going on a route on, on their two-point conversion or one-point conversion. It's like, oh, okay. He's standing there, you know, in the slot. And, and I saw it on the TV screen, and I think it did go viral after that. The, the wide receiver standing there, puts his head down, and I saw, I saw the liquid come out of his helmet. I was like, is that a huge spit, or did he bark? And he did throw up. So that's when I was like, ooh, might be time to switch to Duke, North Carolina. I, I did – you know, you mentioned it with the Wildcats at the very least. They don't have one of those established head coaches like Bob Stoops or Jim Zorn or Pep Hamilton, and they're one of the teams that got blown out. So I am interested to see how that franchise does here in town. Their first home game is this weekend, I think Sunday. But I, I am with you. I'm all for also listening to the head coaches. I'm a big fan of that because you're always watching football going, what's happening in that huddle? What is the coach saying? where he has to cover up. Why is Andy Reid covering up his mouth to make these play calls? And I like hearing the play calls. I have no idea what they're mean or what they're saying, but it's interesting. I know the Astros love it, that inside look at play calling. But I, I liked the transparency on the replay review. That's the kind of stuff that's going to help this product because obviously the best players aren't there for the time being. And it's hokey stuff like that that will at least make a difference for me. Well, it's... So one of the things that, I, that people loved about the original XFL was that it was very revolutionary from a broadcast standpoint, not so much from a playing standpoint. The Skycam, which has become synonymous with football, yes. was started in the XFL. Yeah, good point. And, I, and a lot of the things that the XFL has instigated in 2020 are things that could be implemented in later NFL broadcasts. I, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where – you will instantly have reporters talking to no, and I don't need that to be honest. The second he walks off the field, whether it's a good play or a bad play, because of the delays and things, I think it makes it harder for the reporter and the player. But I really thought some of the rules that they implemented were interesting. Yeah, I what do you think about the rules? Yeah. I loved the fact that you can go for one point, two points, or three. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's not just a kick. It's an actual play that you have to do. And so exactly. what that does is because you can go for three points on any play, it makes a 16-point deficit not as bad. It makes a 17-point deficit something that you can make up in two scores. Uh, I love from the perspective of kickoffs. So where, like the receiver, yeah, where the kick returner actually has to catch the ball before the punting team can actually make a play on the ball. Because what it does is the problem with the NFL is kickoffs are so dangerous because you have people running full speed ahead to use <laughs> a stationary object and waiting for something to come down. Uh, and it's why more times than not, we end up with balls that go into the end zones for touchbacks or whatnot. This gives us an opportunity for a safer return and an opportunity for big plays to happen. And I love that. And so while, say, in 10 years, the XFL is not around, I can see this version of the XFL giving us something of substance for the NFL game. And the biggest part, Jonas, while the names of the teams are awful, the branding (laughs) of each individual team is very generic, it didn't feel gimmicky 
from any perspective, which was something that was a huge knock on the original XFL because the original XFL didn't feel like sports. It felt like entertainment. It felt like an extension of the WWE. You had Vince McMahon, the character, roaming out and saying, this is the XFL. You had The Rock coming out in the middle of the field and saying, if you can smell what the XFL is cooking. But, you know, you mentioned it. He hate me. Players had nicknames on the back of their jerseys. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment. But that has influenced other games Mm-hmm. or in other sports around the country. I mean, Major League Baseball now has a players-only weekend where they wear nicknames on the back of their jersey sure. because of the representation of what happened to the XFL in 2001. So while we didn't get a full second season of the XFL, you know, remnants of the original league are still around. You just have to look for them. I, I'm down with the kickoff rule. And I will say this about the XFL this weekend. The branding's bad, or generic, I should say. The team names are bad. LA Wildcats is about as generic as it gets. The uniforms are not very good either. Although the DC Defenders one, I was down with those uniforms. Those were clean. And, and the best part about that Defenders game is they were playing in a soccer stadium. That's and key, how much yeah. better did that look? You know, there was a report out there that the XFL as a whole generated more ticket sales in week one than their first four games than the AAF did in 10 weeks of football. And now part of that is how many of those tickets were giveaways that were just asking people to walk through the turnstiles and go check out a football game. But at the same time, it builds awareness. It puts people in the seats. It gets people talking about it. And that's the biggest thing that the XFL can ask for right now. Yeah. No, I I think it's viable and and it's really going to test the old theory that people just want football in whatever capacity because that's what it tends to feel like here in America and the sporting public. Like it could be what's the most like Cincinnati versus what's another just random Cincinnati versus Jacksonville. If they put that on Thursday night, that's going to be the number one viewed program of the evening. So is that just because it's an NFL thing and it's sort of ingrained in the American psyche or are people really that thirsty for the game of football? So we'll, we'll check the ratings. We'll check the attendance as the season goes on. But it at least feels sustainable. The AAF, I mean, they didn't even pay players. They didn't even pay broadcasters. At least with the XFL, like you said, they are on Fox. They are on ESPN. Well, they did. So I'll, I'll repeat what I just said. It's a, it feels more sustainable, if anything. So the AAF did pay players. The problem was when they would go to check their or cash their checks, the funds were either delayed (laughs) weeks behind. And part of that goes back to the thing that I'm talking about. Vince McMahon has invested 500 million of his own money in this product. Mm -hmm. He gave away the TV rights, which are one of the most important things that any league brings in for revenue in order just to get it on network TV, to get it seen And then eventually, I do believe that you're going to start seeing a XFL app similar to what the WWE app has, where you can watch a a certain game a week. They'll have different broadcasts outside of the network broadcast for those diehard fans. But that's going to help this league generate money. It's going to help it kind of find a footing. And I truly believe that at the very least, we will see a season two of the XFL. You feel a lot more assertive today without your beard. I don't know what it is. I'm like sort well, of intimidated. Well, you know, I, I've done one podcast. I've already had that down. I, I feel like I'm going to improve. I have my hanging mic. My office is officially done and put together. Looks good. Looks good. So yeah. who did the Vipers play this weekend? The Vipers will travel to Seattle to take on the Dragons this week. Oh, they could win that. Tough travel. Don't get me wrong, but they could win that. After having to go to New York, they got to cross four time zones, and it'll be interesting. LA's got Dallas. I don't feel good about their chances either. Yeah, Looks like, like you and I might be rooting for the worst teams in the XFL, Aaron. <laughs> but I, you know, one thing the XFL did right, there are two markets, I think, where they will play cold weather games to start, you know, um, DC, right? as well as New York. But pretty much all the other teams are in some kind of warm weather uh, city to help them and to help the players initially get started. So that's Seattle, Seattle can get chilly depending, you know, when you get there. Rainy, certainly, but it doesn't matter. You know who's not going to be at the bottom of the standings this year? Who's I mean, that? We'll, we'll see, I guess. You never know. But on paper, 
I don't believe Mookie Betts and your local L.A. Dodgers will likely be 100-game winners, class of the National League. I said that last year. But the trade is now officially official with a bow on top. I think people know how I'm probably going to feel about it. The, the biggest difference now is what happened with the Twins. Let me reset, if you will. Let me rewind. So I talked about with Drew uh, briefly last week when the news broke about Mookie Betts. Uh, since he and I last spoke, the trade is now different. It's, in fact, two separate trades as opposed to the three-team deal. Dodgers and the Red Sox did their own trade. Dodgers and the Minnesota Twins did their own deal. So uh, essentially what came here to L.A. was Mookie Betts, David Price, half of David Price's contract, very valuable player. And then Bruzdar Gratterall, which I believe people is a medicine that people take for shingles, Gratterall. Uh, don't check me on that. And he's a fireballing potential starter, likely reliever. They traded Kenta Maeda, Verdugo, two prospects. Aaron, again, people know how I feel about bringing on Mookie Betts. Even with the added prospects added in, I, I want to know what your initial reaction was, though, because you are also a big baseball guy who used to work for the Tampa Bay Rays right there in the AL East. Yeah, you know, I, I worked for the Rays. I also broadcasted minor league baseball at the AAA level. And, you know, the year that I was working with the Rail Riders in their broadcast booth was the year that Mick, Mookie Betts kind of had his meteoric rise to the big leagues. Yeah. And he was working his way through the system. He'd been in AA Portland for a while and then kind of came up to AAA and had a cup of coffee. And... Major leaguers look different in the minor leagues. You can tell what a big leaguer looks like, even if it's at AAA, which oftentimes is a holding tank for fringe guys. Uh, it's either players that are, they've maybe agreed to a deal that keeps them in AAA in case the big league team needs to have someone to shuttle up and down. And then also the double-A guys, if they spend more than two weeks there, there's clearly a flaw in their game in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> uh, so Pawtucket had come to Scranton for a series, and it was an action game, and Mookie Betts was on their roster at their time. And I, I can't remember who the closer was uh, for the Rail Riders. His name escapes me right now, but he had been an all-star um, a few times over with Arizona. He was on the mound. He was closing for the Rail Riders. Bucks. No, it was um, it was an older guy. Uh, he he was like forty years old in two thousand thirteen when I was there. Hmm. But it was an extra inning battle, and Mookie, obviously the young rising star, was standing in the plate, uh, and he was looking onto this guy who'd been an all star a few times over, and the bat went deeper and deeper. You know, pitch eight came, pitch nine came, pitch ten came, fouling it off, just working his way through this. And this is an extra inning game. Runner, go ahead, runs on second place. And pitch 13 comes, Mookie lines it into center field for a base hit, scores to go ahead and run, and eventually the Pawtucket Red Sox win that baseball game. But that's what I'm talking about, a player that just looks different than everybody else. You know, this was a guy that was 21, 22 years old at the time, lanky then, but he was going head-to-head with a former All-Star and just battling through that at bat and just forcing his way until he got a pitch that he could do something with. And at that moment, you knew that Mookie Betts was going to be a star and that he was going to kind of change the trajectory of the Red Sox. Now, the problem is, if you're the Red Sox and you have a player like that who's come up with through your system, who you identified, who you scouted, who you kind of invested your source, resources into, uh, to not make, I, I don't want to say a strong effort, because they made an effort to sign him, but because of the way their previous front office player personnel signings went they yeah. couldn't afford it because of the way it worked with their luxury tax which is just bad front office moves because you have to identify when these guys come up for signings of how to um sign them and how you keep your absolute best players and that's how a fail- maneuver leading up to when they're ready yeah. to be signed yeah. right yeah. front offices work in three or four year windows they don't work on a year-by-year basis you know Mm-mm. that's what when we do signing- when you're signing David Price, you know what your finances probably look like for the next two, three years. When you're signing Chris Sale, you know what your finances look like for the next two, three years. And for them to not have the foresight of what that number was going to be for Mookie Betts and not have those conversations with his agent it is troubling for them. And that's part of the reason they have a new front office in place right now because they could not get this deal done and because of some of the other issues that were coming up. And... So for the Red Sox, this is a bad look. This is a top 10 player in baseball. This is a homegrown guy that you couldn't even get to his next contract. 
on the flip side, the return they got was really good. You know, you got two notable big league players that are serviceable that are going to be part of your rotation, but you lose the all-star caliber player. And for the Dodgers, this is a deal that, depending on what they care about, where they're at with electric tax and with some of their younger players that are eventually going to need to be signed to, like Bellinger, yep. it's yep. a clear win now. You know what? If that gets them a World Series, that's fantastic. And it's, yep. And it easily probably gives them the best lineup in baseball. But if you're a Red Sox fan right now, and I typically don't feel for Boston fans on any kind of level because they're ignoring in all of sports, it's a gut punch. So you couldn't get this deal done with a guy who came up in your system who loved playing for that team. And it has to be frustrating like hell for them. Was it Jose Valverde? Uh, no. Son of a bitch. A big so, white oh, white guy. Was it Brad Ziegler? No. No. Nah. All right, we'll get there. Uh, Matt Manti? Nope. All right, all right, all right. right. We'll talk Mookie Betts. So from the perspective here in town and all those salient, wonderfully said, Aaron, both coast bias, he's in Orlando, laying down the law without a beard. Again, maybe a little turned on as well. Um, You're never going to satisfy everybody, right? Alex Verdugo is a Mexican heritage guy. Like, I'm not calling him Mexican to be racist. He is of Mexican heritage. He played for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. And I I think it goes without saying that that goes a long way in Los Angeles, especially a guy who has a lot of energy, very popular. There are the prospect humpers, right? Um, The tantalizing notion of a prospect isn't isn't worth giving up even for a superstar. Then there are people who are rational. That's where I come in. (laughs) so what are the Red Sox really trying to do well if you look at it it's devastating it's not good for baseball that they have to trade Mookie Betts they didn't plan ahead Uh, Dave Dombrowski has since been fired Chaim Bloom from the Rays got brought in to essentially make the Red Sox more Dodgers ish why do I say that how was LA able to make this deal because of the depth because of the roster flexibility because of the payroll flexibility they were able to trade a pretty good prospect in Jeter Downs, who's essentially blocked. Keith Bell was his name. Who was that? Keith Bell was the pitcher. Oh, former Padre, wasn't he? Former Padre, yes. Uh, that's where you got me. Okay. I'm glad. I, I am actually really glad we got that figured out. But so Jeter Downs. The Dodgers have Corey Seager and Gavin Lux and Max Muncy, who also plays a little bit of second base. Jeter Downs isn't going to be a big leaguer anytime soon. Trade him for Mookie Betts. Connor Wong, the, the, the catcher. The Dodgers have Will Smith, who's about to play his first full season in the majors. Kiebert Ruiz, who's a top 50 prospect catcher. And a guy named Diego Cartaya, who's 18 years old and already a great catching prospect. Trade him for Mookie Betts. And the, what the Red Sox are looking to do is create that kind of flexibility by bringing in these young, controllable players and to get to that point so they have money to play with. Now... <laughs> to give up Mookie Betts in order to do that is pretty unheard of. And I applaud Andrew Friedman and the, the front office here in Los Angeles because too often he gets criticized for sitting on his heels, not making that big move, which is not true, by the way. This is the same guy who picked up Yu Darvish and Manny Machado. So to say he doesn't make big moves is a little far-fetched. If they win the World Series, and right now I'd probably put the Yankees and Iota ahead of them in the power rankings because of Garrett Cole, and I like their pitching a little bit better. But if they win the World Series and then Mookie walks, big deal. It was all worth it. And to see him play, just as a sports fan, Aaron, and I think you would agree with this, as a sports fan, to see a guy like him here in town, I'm going to watch so many games just to watch this guy play baseball with his joy and his ability to see him and Bellinger in center field and right field. It's going to be unbelievable. And as just as a sports fan, I'm really excited for this. Apart from the machinations of a trade and losing, you know, Kenta Maeda and Alex Verdugo. Oh, big deal. The the sports fan of me is just as excited as the Dodger fan of me. And, and that's where I come out uh, the most in this. Mostly applauding Andrew Friedman because he got the job done here in 2020. Another Rays guy, of course. Uh, but... Also, the, the joy that should be put on the field at Dodger Stadium this year and what's been a really weird offseason with the Astro stuff and losing to the, you know, the Nationals in the first round. So uh, I, 
I have renewed hope for sure heading into spring training. But that's the point of spring training, right? <laughs> yeah. So the, the biggest thing to commend Andrew Friedman on, and the, the biggest problem with a lot of baseball GMs and GMs in general is you overvalue your own, right? Prospect cap is always the most important thing to any baseball team. The 25-man roster is imperative, mm-hmm. uh, but the lifeblood of your team is your developmental process. It is your minor leagues. And the fastest way for a general manager to get fired is to overvalue their prospects and their minor leaguers as opposed to the big league option that's in front of you. Yes, Teams do yes. it. Yes. Fans yes. Over, overvalue prospects. But at the end of the day, prospects do not win you baseball games. They do not win you championships. Guys on the 25-man roster do. And the most important ways to build any baseball team, any contending club, is to use every facet of roster construction possible. So you have developments, you have free agent signings, you have trades, and then you have your international signings. And the Dodgers, more so than anyone have done that to their strengths. They've developed players. They've signed players. They retained players in free agency. They've supplemented their roster with free agent signings. But more importantly, they've used their developmental system to acquire players that can help the big league roster. And it is a credit to them, and it is a credit to what they have done in that division, that because of the way they utilize those four pillars – they had enough prospect capital to go make a trade like this. Because at the end of the day, you have to remember, you can have the players to go do it, but the, ro- but the roster has to fit the player. So yeah. if you are the Kansas City Royals and you have the prospect capital to get a deal like this done, it also has to fit the current roster. And the current roster does not fit that type of player. For years, the Padres have tried to do that, right? Like, <laughs> yes. they're a 25-man roster <laughs> – does not fit the players that they consistently want to bring in. Not signing Cosmer, signing Manny Machado, and what those are, those are big agent signings. But at the same time, it's not helping your younger players grow because they don't fit the confines of where the roster is currently. And so I, I do give a tip of the cap to Andrew Friedman for this because it goes back to the same thing that we just talked about where the Red Sox failed this process. Their front office did not have enough wherewithal to look at their current books and their current roster construction and then analyze the rest of the league and free agents because front offices also do that. They also have um, where ARB cases might go, what players might be available in what year so that they can start future planning. And that, that is a credit to the Dodgers because they also knew, I think, last year where, what was it, two years ago, when they acquired Manny Machado, that they were going to still need to have the prospect capital to make a deal like this and to not give up the farm for a player like this. And I just can't say enough about the way this deal was orchestrated for the Dodgers. And, you know, at the end of the day, they get to Jack Peterson because of another deal that fell through, and that could oh. lead to us down the road. Yeah. But it helps them in so many different ways. Can you imagine Artie Moreno looking at the owner of the Angels, by the way, looking at his roster with zero pitching, pretty good lineup, and being like, you know what? My wiener is such a, in such a pretzel right now. I'm so frustrated that this is taking so long and that I'm not the focus that I'm not going to take a more than service, serviceable starter in Ross Stripling and a guy who would slot right into my outfield in Jock. Their outfield would have been Trout, Peterson, uh, Justin Upton, you know, a lineup with Rendon and Otani. I'm forgetting other people as well. Uh, that's how good their lineup potentially could have been. But he got so frustrated that it didn't work. And, and I am going to sound like a honk here for Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers, but this is legitimate. I wish, as a fan, obviously, but I wish, you know, maybe 2017 and the Astros thing didn't happen and they did have a title because now every, every move they make and every joke is that they're just going to choke again, which they have. Don't get me wrong. But the development, the way they are able to, recognized talent. Chris Taylor and Max Muncy were nobodies. And now they're sur- Max Muncy is a star, essentially. Chris Taylor is a very good player. These were nobodies for the Mariners and for the A's. So the ability to recognize talent 
and then the shrewd moves. If you're getting a superstar like Mookie Betts, you usually assume that you've now cleared out your farm system. Al contraire, my lady, like these names are going to mean nothing to general baseball fans, but Gavin Lux, Dustin May, uh, Josiah Gray, Tony Gonsolin, uh, Kiebert Ruiz, who I mentioned already, those are some of the best prospects in baseball, not just in their farm system. And they didn't get traded. That's, <laughs> that's pretty strong. On top of keeping the fireballing flamethrower from Minnesota, who's going to probably get slotted right into that bullpen and maybe have an impact if he's healthy. So, uh, yeah, I can't say enough about the job that Friedman did. Boston got some pretty solid pro- uh, pieces. Don't get me wrong. But Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo's career wars probably will not add up to what Mookie Betts has done even in the last four years, which should tell you something about uh, both him and how solid those two guys could be. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that unless you got something else. I, I stupidly did not record this episode. I imagine we're right up against it, Aaron. So I, I will quickly say uh, we'll, we'll do a quick, quick shot recap. Did you see the proposed playoff maneuvering potentially for 2022 in MLB. Uh, essentially, they want to let in two more teams and have sort of a reality show type of situation where teams, like on the playground, like on the blacktop, get to say, who do I want to pick? Not you, not you. You're too short. I'm going to play you, this guy. We're going to beat you up. And I don't know. I, I think it's an intriguing prospect, but I think it's more of a diversion. You, you had some strong opinions, although just about the the system in general you kind of seem like you like it so the, the easy, easiest criticism of this is to say uh it's stupid it's too far out there it's ridiculous but at the end of the day what are baseball's biggest issues Attention. driving fans fan interactions and filling a window of network tv time and right now, it's, it's a tough reality, but it's a real reality. People don't love baseball. People don't care about the sport. People are not tuning it in to mm-hmm. watch. And the one thing that baseball really has right now is that wild card game. And it is a single elimination winner-take-all game that gets them to the divisional round. But after that, people don't care. People don't watch unless it's your team in it. And perhaps one of the bigger issues is, is because of the ways, like we've talked about, roster construction and teams that are viable and competing and looking to win instead of building super teams, you have too many teams making up the bottom that realize that they cannot win. And so when you take the amount of playoff teams, even if it is a wild card team, and you extend it from, uh, what is it right now? It's five teams from each division make it. And so if you add two more teams, you're adding seven to each division, so you're making 14 teams just under, uh, what is it, close to like 45% of the teams that will make the playoffs. What that does is that – 14 out of 30, so yeah. Yeah, that that creates interest from other markets that wouldn't have been intrigued in the season, the final half. And that's what baseball is trying to do. They're trying to find a way to keep their fans' attention through the entire season. And if you can do that in a gimmicky way – that's great because it has a problem and it needs to be addressed and people are not gravitating towards the sport. And if you can make it one of the most, I'll put it this way. Um, one of the most interesting things that the NBA has done is they have allowed team captains to draft players. And the NBA is also looking at ways for the, the all-star game, but the NBA is also looking at ways that they can change the formatting of their playoffs because it needs to change because there are teams that sit in certain divisions that uh, are traditional powerhouses that will just dominate every single year and people lose intrigue. And so baseball is not the only one that's looking to change its playoff format. They're looking to make it relevant for the new century. What's the worst thing that happens out of this? You allow fans to sit there and think and have debates and have conversations about well, if the Dodgers are the number one seed and we, we get a buy, and the Yankees are the number two seed in the American League and now they have to sit there and pick who they want to play, you don't think Yankee fans are going to sit there for weeks and months talking about, well, shit, man, if we can just play the Indian, or if, we can, if we get to pick the Royals because the Royals suck against left-handed pitching and we have two of the best left-handed pitchers in the game right now, 
Like, like that's what they want. They want conversation. They want people to be involved in it and they want to make it something that's relevant to now. And if it takes a gimmick like this to do it, people should be on board. So that was my first thought when I saw this, which is incentivizing teams because I, I've never seen a bigger split between the haves and have nots in MLB right now. Like we're going to have like two or three, hundred win teams and we're going to have like three or four, again, hundred loss teams which is not good. like what's happening in Pittsburgh and Baltimore the last few years it is a travesty. But I, I more so look at the timing, to be honest with you, Aaron, and it just feels like a diversion to me because we're a week out from spring training. In fact, teams are reporting. This is generally when national excitement is still pretty high. You know, I, I know that over the course of the year and the summer drags on, It'll start to wane, but you don't need to announce this right now. This feels like something at like a all-star break type of leak out. So to me, and a lot of times with press releases and rule changes, sometimes I just feel like you have to look underneath the covers a bit and, and the surface level. And with everything this offseason, and you and I talked about it, how with what happened with the Astros and with the punishments that came down, it just felt like MLB wanted to do it and get it over with and hope it went away, which it hasn't. In fact, the punishments for the Red Sox are still yet to come, which will restart the conversation. And now with players in spring training, we're going to start talking and looking at the Astros even more. So they want to get away from that. Uh, we did have this Mookie Betts deal, which is both a bad look for a team to be trading a transcendent superstar and the, the whole thing with the trade being announced but not being made official for six days, I believe, that was another bit of a black eye. So I, I do believe, and just this to me feels like it's sort of par for the course for this commissioner and sort of driving conversation and trying to shift, a, 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 have the eyes be having an aversion from what's truly happening. I thought it was a smokescreen. I thought it was supposed to just essentially be like, hey, look at this. This is fun and wild. Why don't you talk about this? But ignore truly what's happening. Because I think there's other ways to fix the game. And I think you and I would probably agree on that as opposed to just the playoff format. So I do get what you're saying and the premise of your argument. But every year before spring, tra before tra spring training, Major League Baseball <laughs> and the Players Association <laughs> gets together to talk about rule changes. And typically that is when these type of things come out, you know, the pitch clock, the implementation of those and how those were going to be rolled out were done right before spring training. And so I, I don't think the timing of this has anything to do with what's happening with the Astros or what happened with Mookie Betts. And I don't think it's a diversion. I think it's just when those meetings took place and the timing of it, uh, because if you look back, pretty much every year we have a conversation like this with baseball and it happens right before the start of spring training. And we record this on, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So players are going to start reporting today because of what is it? It's the 12th or the 11th. It's February 11th. 11th and that's yeah. when you're starting to report. And so it's just kind of the general cycle of players are reporting. Major League Baseball is meeting with the MLBPA. They're trying to talk about things. And also they have a big issue going on with a collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. They're staring but, a strike in the face, right? Yeah. But at the same time, the players would have to agree to a rule change like this and a format change like this. And so if you're in the same room and you're talking about it, that's why these types of things leak out. Um, on the flip side, you know, I, I can certainly say that there's things that I would like them to do differently or that I think would be better. Um, but just I can't narc on something just because it's different. I can like some of the aspects of it and I can appreciate what the ultimate goal is of it. Um, and I, I think that there's probably better ways to do it. Like I, I do not think they should eliminate that one game playoff like format for right. because the and the general thing and the general schedule of how this is working out it's basically replacing the days that are built in to the baseball calendar for a game 161 an elimination game Which something like that just replacing the 
with this three-game series. And so you're adding more teams to the pie. You're putting it inside the calendar of the day's work that already are implemented. And then it's just adjusting the schedule a little bit. So I I don't have a, a problem with that, but I think people need to stop being so objective to anything that's different, radical new ideas. <laughs> like people in the NBA will throw a hissy fit over the idea that they want to implement a midseason tournament and how it affects the league. That's not how it works. Yeah. Like everyone's going to have different opinions to it. People hate the fact of the idea of reseeding teams in the NFL, just based on which higher seed team will go to where, right? Like nobody really likes that rule. Like you play a regular season and you get seeded for a reason. Um, and people did people didn't love the idea of them implementing a wild card playoff game and the fact right. that it was a one game elimination game and teams still hate it, but you know what viewership loves? They love hanging on every pitch, every managerial decision being critiqued because it's a winner go home game and it creates a full roster effect. You're going to have that with these added teams still. And you're going to have that going down the stretch because Instead of having four teams that are just jockeying for playoff position and who's going to play who, you don't know who you're going to play. You're going to have team eight, nine, ten in the American League battling for those final spots. And so the final weeks are going to be so much more fun. Well, I was just going to say, what if you kept – because I don't want to add more teams. Like the the teams that are the, – the fifth teams that are making the wild card are already wildly mediocre. Like I don't want the potential of under 500 teams making the playoffs. So just like, what if you had the one seed choose their opponent regardless? Like, I'm pretty sure, just take last year, for example, I'm pretty sure the Dodgers wouldn't have chosen the Nationals in that situation. You still get that engagement. You still get all those possibilities. And I think it sort of bore itself out last year. Like, I bet they would have chosen the Cardinals to play in the NLDS, who are not that great of a team. They just won a pretty mediocre division. You know, the Nationals had those great pitchers. They had Brendon and Soto. Really, the cream of the crop in terms of talent. So instead of adding more dreck, if you will, what if they like that's really just to emphasize your point? That's just you know pipe dream, if you will. Yeah, if, but you're talking uh, about people adverse to change. Well, there's no sport more crotchety and hates change more than the old white guys who who watch baseball. So that's probably where a lot of this is coming in. So I'm. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't add to the pie and it doesn't add to fan bases being intrigued. Right. I know. So that's, that's the issue with it all. And that's what they're trying to Someone cr- crunch the number. And I was going to make the same point that you did the, like even the first wild card when that was implemented that I were, I know people threw their hands up over that, let alone the game. What was that? 2013 when they first started that 2011. Um, and it's been, it's been a boon for the MLB. Just the, the playoffs are sick. They don't really need adjust. I know it's regional, and you're only really going to get the teams that are in it watching for the most part. It feels like other ways to get engagement to, to me. So think of how many teams in the other professional sports make the playoffs. 16 NBA teams. Don't you think that's too many? Of a 30-game league. And, yeah, uh, so here's the argument to that. The Magic last year were dead set on making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they made the playoffs as, I think it was a seven seed because they played Toronto, who was the two seed in the East. Uh, and while that team had no championship aspirations and that team was not going anywhere, fans locally were energized. They were excited. They wanted to be a part of that team because that team had not made the playoffs in close to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. beautiful thing about baseball And say you have a team that is, let's say this, the Kansas City Royals, fringe playoff team, not this year, not last year, not for a few years, but in 16 and 17, after they'd already gone on their run, they were a fringe playoff team. If there was an added series or they added teams to the pie, then theoretically that team could have gotten hot and won a championship because more so than anything, what baseball has showed us is that even if you have a dominant superstar driven team, you can win in the playoffs. If players get hot, if uh, a hitter is all of a sudden kind of going in fuego, or if you have a pitcher who's on a dominant run, you know, it's, it's such a day by day thing that adding more teams to the pie 
actually increases fringe teams' chances of winning the World Series. Last thing, and this is me being devil's advocate, and I, I'm sure we're up against it now, but isn't that sort of the effect of the second wild card? Like, again, teams are having bad years, but they're only like three games back of making a wild card spot, right? I mean, yeah. is that not sort of, in essence, similar? A little bit, but at the same time... I know it's not a playoff game, per se. More teams than the teams even further down are now excited about it. And what you're giving these teams is you're giving them a series to prove themselves and to work their way in. Well, that was the end of your point. Oh, cool. cool. (laughs) All right. Well, that was spirited. Aaron put on a yellow T-shirt. He shaved. He intimidated me both physically and emotionally. And uh, here here we are. That's, That's where we ended up. We're just here to educate as well as entertain. That's that's our goal. That's that's what we're that's what we hope our goal is. Aaron, I believe you and I will talk later this week with a new computer, or at least this one, and then you're off to Chicago. Right down, baby. And if anyone wants anything from NBA All Star Weekend, let me know. I will be there. I will be on the ground doing some reporting. Unfortunately, we can't do a show from there. Well, maybe we could. On I don't see why not. Uh, I'll be in my hotel. Probably Zoom from your phone. Yeah, we could try. I could call in. Oh, Tuesday, Tuesday, um, I will be down in Fort Lauderdale. So I honestly would not say no to like a Devontae Graham jersey. A Devontae Graham jersey? Wow. He's going to be competing in the three point contest. So I'm excited to talk to him. Three point as well as the Rising Stars game, right? Isn't there another Jayhawk in the Rising Stars game? Is is Svi in it? He's on the world team, right? He is in it. My best friend. He's hitting that. He's hitting that Jayhawk quota. You know, uh, again, we're about to go over. Really good year for Jayhawks in the NBA. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. I'm sorry. People are probably driving to work right now, being like, "Oh my god, clip it." So I will. Appreciate you listening. Uh, we're back, back in a New York groove. Uh, again, thank you to Drew for his substitution the last couple times. Aaron, I will talk with you soon. And apart from that, I'll still wake up. Bye, guys. Thank you.